Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. As 2023 begins, Reconditioning is excited to be able to offer to you a hybrid model of learning with live labs all over the country and starting this year in the United States as well. So if you're a U.S. listener and you've been waiting to do reconditioning, we're going to be down your way this year. So we have a whole series of dates booked Starting in February in Montreal with our R1 Foundations, we have an R2 in March, then we're going to be out in BC in um, May, we're going to be out in Halifax in Nova Scotia in late April, we're going to be uh, down in um, Grand Rapids, Michigan in June, and we have a whole host of dates booked for the fall. So if you've been waiting to take reconditioning and to upgrade your professional capacity and bring it to the next level it's time to jump into reconditioning Um, there's lots of rumors about recession and challenge and difficult times ahead and if you want to bulletproof your practice be able to uh, manage the storm of some of these things that happen from an economic perspective be able to manage more clients a different kind of clientele and really have a more robust capacity bring in the world of applied neurology to your practice as well as that combination of therapy and performance. It really allows you to express the gambit of the different kinds of clients and client demands you might run into, which is going to make you more resilient, more capable of managing through something like a recession and being able to bulletproof your business. So we'd like to help you do that. Reconditioning has all of its course calendar out now. You can find it at www.reconditioninghq.com on the education calendar page, and we'd love to see you in 2023. Our main sponsor, Matrix Fitness, has recently launched its high school and collegiate development program. Customized to each group, these are two-hour workshops designed to support the busy teacher and coach in implementing modern training principles. These workshops are funded by Matrix and designed to address three areas. Simple, not easy, implementing strength conditioning in high school or collegiate settings improving multi-directional movement and coordination, and finally, putting the fun back into fundamentals, simplifying physical education in the weight room for all. Each workshop includes notes, session samples, and templates to help support implementation, as well as equipment and space assessment and budget allocation ideas to support programming. The workshops are all led by Wayne Burke, He's a former pro lacrosse athlete and 23-year veteran of training athletes of all ages. Matrix Fitness is a global brand of fitness equipment supplying and supporting organizations and athletes of all sizes and levels in their pursuit of improved performance. If you want more information on this program, then contact Wayne Burke, B-U-R-K-E, at matrixfitness.com. And if you want more information about the products and programs of Matrix Fitness, hit up matrixfitness.com today. 
Now that we've taken care of those that take care of us, on to the podcast. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. Today, uh, I am going to be adventuring into the world of business a little bit more. Uh, This is sort of part of uh, various thematics that I want to cover this year for the listenership. This one specifically, I'm bringing in a former um, marketing and business coach, Alex Deziri, who I've had on the podcast before. And Alex has a great resume in the world of branding, brand development, uh, marketing, growing a product or various products and stuff. Stuff and has done some really cool stuff. And he helped myself and Jamie do some interesting things with reconditioning and also with this podcast. So I'm excited to have Alex on. Welcome, Alex. Hi, Scott. Good to have you, sir. Maybe you can tell the listener a little bit more than I did about, you know, what makes you somebody they should be listening to around this topic, so to speak. Yes. So I'll start the story with how we got in contact, which is I started working at this company called London Real, an interview podcast, which at the time was one of the biggest in the world. It had big names on like Run DMC, Fatboy Slim, Jordan Peterson, maybe some people know Dan Pena, Trillion Dollar Man, or Ido Portal, the movement specialist who coached Conor McGregor, guys like that. And I started as a social media guy at their company, the social media ninja. And I helped them with the distribution of their entire content that they were creating. So they were creating content for the, also for YouTube. So they have a YouTube channel, London Real. And as I did that for a couple of months, I began automating their strategy and asking, okay, what are the biggest challenges at the company here? And at the time it was products and monetization. So I thought, well, let me have a take a stab at that and and became the head of product, basically, and then developed all their major online courses. So that would be Business Accelerator or a Broadcast Yourself on how to start a podcast in eight weeks or Speak to Inspire, become an inspiring speaker in six weeks. All these premium courses that I would then also do all the marketing around. So I would write their sales pages, their email sequences, the strategy for social media. And at the time when I joined, there were only about five people working there where it was a small team and there wasn't that much monetization or revenue coming in, but there was a big audience. There was a loyal audience that they've built up for three, four years. And as we started doing these launches, so launching the product through these email sequences, people started buying these courses quite quickly and in volume because a lot of people wanted to get closer to their brand. So these started becoming six-figure launches every two to three months. And as the company started growing, I started hiring all the people around them. So graphic designer, finding a top copywriter, finding a Facebook ads team in collaboration with our team there. And over the time that I was there, the company grew from five people to 30 people, from a couple hundred thousand subscribers to 1.5 million, and monetized into a multi-million pound media company. And I've learned much of my insights on how to grow a business from many of the entrepreneurs that would come on the podcast and then talk about their insights, their strategies, their techniques. I would hire people that were top copywriters in in different industries to get them on the show uh, and in the business to understand how to do all this launch thing and writing and selling all these products. So from there, I transitioned into becoming a coach and helping others support in growing their message and growing their products. 
And that's how we got in contact. You did the broadcast yourself on how to do a podcast, which is a podcast we're listening to right now. And from there, we started working together. Yeah. Well, I want the listener to know that Alex is, um, you know, very good at what he does. And uh, we'll have, uh, if you do want to contact him after this podcast, you can uh, look for him on his website. We'll post that up uh, in the show notes and also uh, just talk about it again at the back end. But if you... Use his name, Alex Dezira with a DZ or Z, as we say in Canada, I R I. You will find him on the internet. And um, I wanted to bring him on. Uh, I, we've gone through his career and his life before on the podcast, and he's doing some really cool things also with, uh, you know, life coaching and other things that he's getting into now. But um, I felt like his um, affinity for understanding what our listenership might be doing from a business perspective, either developing a business, contemplating a business, et cetera. He could give people some, you know, some initial sort of thought processes. And for those of you already deep in the weeds, some deeper thoughts around stuff. Um, And I really appreciate his time today. So what I want to start with Alex, and it's funny off the back of a conversation I just had with two friends of mine who are great human performance businessmen, a guy named Stu McMillan and Brett Bartholomew. We talked about business for about 90 minutes on uh, my 300th podcast. And one of the things that Stu talked about was this idea that, you know, and I kind of brought it up that not everybody is in business for the same reasons. And you, and, and I had sort of my variation of thought process around it, but he used this metaphor that I really loved and I wanted to share with you to sort of walk into this. And it was the idea of some people are, are mercenaries in business and some people are missionaries. So some people do business because they love business. They want to sell. They want the, the the deal. They want to the profit. They want to get rich. They want to get wealthy. Whatever it is that they're they ascribe to, but they love the adrenaline rush of business and what it and it doesn't really matter what they're selling. They're just into the the sale and the proposition of selling. Then there's the missionary, somebody who has an impassioned belief about what they do and want to share it with people and and monetize it in some way, shape, or form. And for the fundamentally, the people we're talking to on this podcast, for the most part, I'm not going to speak to everybody who listens, but I think they they land in that missionary category. Quite often, they've been working in the industry of human performance or in some industry they're in. They have an affinity for something, and now they want to maybe start a course. They want to maybe start a brick-and-mortar business. And so now it's like, how do I convert my passion into something that's monetized and valued and that they can sell to somebody? So I wanted sort of you to, to sort of make, sort of paint a picture of how to think as you're starting out about what you're selling versus what you're passionate about and how they need to align in some sense. Yes, absolutely. Very important because I did not start out enjoying sales or coming into and thinking sales is a great thing I love to do. When I would think about a salesperson, I would think about the guy on the phone on the Wolf of Wall Street just yelling at you and being like, buy my stock. And then he would get the stock and he's like, all right, F you, I got your money. That's what I would think a salesperson would be. So I'm like, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to get into this. But the truth is when we start out of business and we just do what we love to do, that's kind of the adolescent part of us. But if we want to mature and become an adult in our business, we need to know that marketing and sales is a consistent piece of our business that we constantly need to 
spend time on, understand, break it down, get into, and learn skills. And just as when you have a dancer, for instance, that has many different styles, you have many different styles of dancing. You have salsa, bachata, break dancing, hip hop, uh, tectonic, it's kind of an old dance style, but you know, you have all these dance styles. It's just in sales, you also have many types of selling. And you need to understand what your sales type is, if you wish. What makes you feel good? Some people like to be charismatic. Some people like to connect other people. Some people like to support other people towards a goal. But whatever that personality is, I want to encourage people to think about sales in a way where you can find something that fits your personality and you don't have to push yourself to be this person that you don't like or you don't want to be. I think a lot of mm. people don't like to do this part of the business because they think I have to push something on somebody or I have to take something away in order to gain from me. And I want to be a good person. I don't want to, I don't want to push my product and make them feel bad. And mm. I just want to encourage them that you don't have to do that. You can find something that fits within your personality. And as we're talking about this, there is this saying that comes to mind, which is, Sell them what they want, give them what they need. Mm -hmm. So there's a way where you can connect both what you're passionate about and on the other sales piece where you put the two together and create a business that makes sense. So when you think about what you want to be doing, most people start from that point of view, they start a business because they think like, oh, well, I have this great idea. And I started also uh, like this and I had many failed businesses in the beginning. But then as you mature, you start understanding that, oh, if I want to make a business work, I actually have to sell something that other people want. Because if I mm -hmm. just come on and say, hey, this is what I'm doing, it's very much like I go to a client. And I arrive on a tricycle with a lolly and two balloons. And I say, what do you think? <laughs> and you as the client like, huh? This has nothing to do with what I'm dealing with on a daily basis. So what are you, what are you coming with me at? Well, what is this? We have to mm -hmm. figure out what the other person wants, needs, what their challenges are, what their dreams are, what their secret dreams are so that we can start the conversation there and then create a gateway, a portal into our world. But we cannot just come on and knocking like, hey, this is my exercise that I invented for rehabilitating your shoulder and you really need this and, and you put it in their face. Many people are not going to maybe want to hear exactly what your thoughts are. It's important that you link both of these elements together. And mm. a suggestion that I might want to give to figure out how to do this, because this sounds theoretical, is next time you speak to a client, ask him a couple of questions to figure out what they're thinking about, what's on their mind, not on your mind, but on their mind. And as a coach, this is what I constantly do. I ask questions. And some of the best questions one that I'd like to give, and if you're doing a, if you're listening to this podcast and you're going out and you're doing your practice, you're going to, you know, the first client you're going to meet at the beginning or at the end of the practice, 
ask him one of these two questions. One, when it comes to, and then X fill in the blank, what is your biggest challenge? So maybe I'll ask you, Scott, like how would you, how would that question work in a certain type of practice? What would a athletic therapist or physiotherapist ask? What would be the context in where they could use a question like that? I might say something like, um, it, when it comes to um, retaining clients to the end of a, a process so that they're tr truly, completely ready, um, how are you challenged by keeping them or retaining that, that client through that whole process? So a lot of therapists will, you know, like say, say somebody has an ACL tear, <clears throat> the person might have insurance for 10 visits and they'll, the person will come in and they'll do their 10 visits and then their ACL is clearly not rehabbed yet, but they won't stick around or they won't finish the, the deal. So that is a problem for a lot of therapists is how you retain people or keep them um, going until they're actually ready to do what it is they need to do in the, in the gen pop sort of world. Okay, so a question then also another way of framing it could be, when it comes to your ACL, what would be your biggest challenge? Would that be a possible question that you would ask if mm -hmm. a client comes in? Yeah, for sure. Yes, because if you just give them 10 sessions, they'll give 10 sessions and there's not a lot of context and afterwards it's done. But if you say, what's your, what's your biggest challenge? They might say, well, I want to be able to sprint at my maximum capacity, for example. And then if you know that knowledge, when you do 10 sessions with them and they're not at full sprinting capacity, then obviously you can use that piece to then, for example, say, hey, you're not at sprinting capacity. How about we do some more sessions? Now, this is a very, I'm, I'm kind of, we're oversimplifying here, obviously, how to do this. But what I'd mm -hmm. like you to think about, the listeners, is... When it comes to X of your client, what's your biggest challenge? Another question could be the ultimate scenario question, which is, that is my favorite question. When it comes to your ACL, what is your ultimate scenario? Or when it comes to your sports, what is the ultimate scenario? When it comes to you playing hockey at the highest level, what is your ultimate scenario? And then as you ask these mm -hmm. questions, people will, will start giving you information. They will start like, well, my dream is to do blah, 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 blah. Or my challenge is I really need to do this, this, and this. Or when it comes to my weight, I want to make sure that I fit in these pants or I do this or whatever it is. They will start giving you the elements that they want. And as mm. they start speaking and they start giving you these words, it's important for you to retain them, to take them on, write them down somewhere because that will be the foundation of your material to go out and market yourselves. It's not necessarily going to be the specific ACL rehabilitation exercise, but it's going to be what your dream is or their challenge or where they want to go or who they want to become. If you really have a deep understanding of your clients to a degree that you understand them better than they understand themselves, then you can start using that to sell them what they want. You're speaking in the language that they understand. And then as they go into your practice, then you give them what they need. Then mm. you start giving them, okay, these are the exercises you need, A, B, and C. Da, 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 da. 
But you don't want to start right off the bat of trying to explain some type of complex exercise that they might not have heard about. We want to be connecting what's going on in the thoughts, in the minds, in the process of where your client wants to go. Find an opening where you can connect with them, where you can align with them, where they can feel, oh, you understand me. I connect with you. And then make a bridge to your solution and say, hey, this thing you have a challenge with, so this thing that you want to go to, I have a solution for that. I can help you with this. Why don't you here come and I'll explain X, Y, Z. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. If I was to use a... And outside the human performance industry example, like if we took, um, you know, I, I, let's say I had an affinity for wine, okay, and I wanted yeah. to um, let a customer know um, about my wine sommelier business where I recommend wines and I can bring them on a wine tour and experience all this kind of stuff. So you asked the client, what is your biggest what is your biggest challenge when it comes to wine or choosing a wine or whatever it is? And the person says, well, you know, price point is an example. So I find it hard to, to choose the right wine at the right price. And, um, you know, I, I'm not a big aficionado. What you're saying is effectively your first in should be focused around how you you express to them how you're going to help them choose a wine based on price point and find the right wine for their whatever it is that they want to do so that they can feel comfortable with the pricing even though maybe you have you have a higher sort of thought process around wine and you want to take them into the taste and the legs and all the other parts of what wine is you're going to start where they are which is their problem is they don't know what to select at what price point in that sort of call it lower range pricing is is that sort of what you're saying in essence correct and i'd like to inspire the listener to think about the fact that if you do this correctly pricing becomes less and less and less of an issue the Mm -hmm. more you understand what it is that they want if you can get in on what are their things that they either want to move away from or want to move towards, you can create a pitch that is more compelling than just playing on price. If -hmm. somebody comes in and, and and let's say rehabilitation, like, Hey, I, I, you know, uh, my foot hurts. And then you say, okay, uh, it's uh, 10 sessions is this price. They're going to be like, Ooh, maybe uh, that's maybe a little bit pricey or, or I don't know. But if you come in, and they say, okay, so what's your problem? Well, my ACL hurts. So who do you want to become? What what would be the ultimate scenario? Well, I want to be able to do my sport correctly. I want to be sprinting at maximum capacity. Okay, and why do you want to be doing all these things? Well, because I want to get the number one medal, or I want to get a trophy, or I want to win this next competition that's happening in three months. Okay, so what is it that you want to avoid? Well, I don't I don't want to have chronic pain. Because if I have this ACL injury, which already happened to me a couple of times, every time I I rehabilitate, I do it for a short while, it keeps on hurting. That needs to go away. Okay. And then as a rehabilitative practitioner, you you feed that back. So you're telling me you want to start winning competitions. You want to get to first place. You want to sprint at maximum capacity. 
And you want to make sure that it's not chronic, that it, it will go away. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. That's what I want. Okay. 10 sessions is this price. Then it's going to be so much easier to buy into that because you're dialed in way more into what the client wants. Now, mm. this is the conversation that starts one-on-one. You're having this conversation because you understand what the client needs and wants. That is the foundation to take those words, those insights, and then when you go out and you try to create marketing that is of a bigger scale beyond one-on-one conversation, but you go on your email list or you go on social media or you go on the podcast, then you want to start talking about these pain points and these desires that people want so that they can connect with you. That's why we're doing this work. You figure this out on a one-on-one basis, but then you want to not start from your point of view, but you want to be starting from the client's point of view. And I think Mm -hmm. in business, there are only a couple of big principles that fit across all industries. And one of them that works for every business is that one of the counterintuitive ideas is when we start a business, the counterintuitive, what we do intuitively, the intuitive thing that we do is we start from our own point of view. Mm. The counterintuitive piece that makes the business weirdly work is to not start from your point of view, but to exercise and learn and practice to start from the point of view of the client, which doesn't come naturally. It comes counterintuitively. But the more we practice this as an exercise we do in our business, the more that we see that whatever we put out there in terms of our pitch, of our sales, of our marketing, the more people will connect to what we want to say because we're speaking their language, not our language. Right, right. Love that. If we sort of extrapolate on that using the wine example, um, so there's kind of two two problems that I see from the perspective that you just provided that I think people run into. One is, um, if we take the wine example, there's lots of different people who, if you had that conversation, would have different problems with their wine selection issues. Some might be high-end users of wine who want to know more about the affinity of, you know, one grape versus another and and what, you know, uh, earth it's been planted on and all this other stuff. And then there's other people who just want to make sure they're getting the right price. And so there's this spectrum of what is my biggest problem. And then the other side of that is I'm impassioned about what it is I love about wine and to your point if i'm sort of de- sort of defining the whole process around my impassioned experience with wine i have to look at their side and figure out what am i going to talk about that's going to compel them to invest in me so the problem then becomes how do i niche or define the the expression of what i'm going to say so that it 
so that I recognize who my actual market is. So do I want to market to this high-end person or this lower-end person or this mid-range person, or or do I want to try to do the whole spectrum? And if so, how do I find messaging that covers that gambit? So this tends to be a problem everybody has when they start asking questions because not every client has the same set of problems, right? Yes. So there's a, a great saying in marketing, that goes as that goes like this niches aren't found they are discovered or in a different way niches aren't chosen they are discovered mm-hmm. so we don't necessarily choose who our clients are it's best that when you start out a business that you have an idea who your potential client might be or who your niche is. But what tends to happen is you have an idea of who you want to promote or who your client is. You go out and start testing messaging. And based on how people respond to that, you will then align with a niche that is open or that you see that still has demands that hasn't been covered yet or something that people really connect with. So the, the way to find your niche is, like you said, you have all these people. You say, like, okay, I got the higher-end user. I got the one with the price point. I got these people. I got these people. You don't want to force yourself too early into what you believe your niche is from the beginning. You want to mm-hmm. have more of an experimental approach and take on messaging that you think will fit for these particular type of people. And then mm-hmm. as you go out, you will see, oh, these work, these don't work. Mm-hmm. And then as you progress, you will start defining a niche that will fit exactly your business that you will, uh, I'd like to inspire people on thinking about a higher end type customer that really responds to what you have to give in order so that you can create a great business model and you can also be seen and appreciated for the work that you do. Mm. I love it. So when it comes, let's say you've done your homework and you recognize what it is that your end user might, um, the challenges they might have, or as some people would define the problems that they seek to fix. Another friend of mine, sort of, we were talking in that same podcast about the idea of understanding the transformation that the client wants to undergo the Mm. what what do they want to become or where do they want to go and in the world of human performance it's probably a greater sort of um construct than one defined problem-centric thing you sort of mentioned it in your own I think because of your background in in dance and 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 uh you know um break dancing and everything else you have a kind of an athletic affinity so you kind of get this idea that there's sort of a, a transformation you're looking to to explore from if you took break dancing i don't know how to break dance to i want to go win a break dance competition so that's your transformation how am i going to make you you know explore that or create that for yourself so understanding that transformation Understanding what the client's transformation is, how do you then convert that into a broadcasting message? And where do people make their mistakes in that conversion oftentimes um, so that the messaging doesn't actually meet the mark? 
Yes. I'd love to talk about the biggest mistakes. As I said before, in the first section that we, that we were talking about, we were talking about this idea of being something being counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. That the intuitive thing is we want to talk about ourselves and the counterintuitive thing is, okay, let's get into the customer's minds. What is that person mm-hmm. feeling, thinking? What's that person going through every single day? And then start from that. The other principle that I like to talk about, that is a counterintuitive piece that, but if you rewire and understand this piece, well, this piece will have an amazing impact on your business, is that intuitively, when we go out and promote, we want to keep our best stuff for ourselves. Mm. The best ideas, I'm going to package them whether it's an online course or I'm going to sell them one-on-one or on an event or whatever it is. But we tend to want to keep the best ideas to ourselves and just promote the superficial stuff. And we'll, we'll give them the best stuff when they come in. The counterintuitive part that I want people to think about is actually the blueprint to building a business that is successful and profitable starts with you giving your best ideas away for free. Give your best stuff and you will attract your best clients. Hmm. Now, maybe to some people that will sound logic, will sound logic in the mind, but when it comes to our execution in our hearts, This is something that is not naturally wired for us to do. There's actually Mm -hmm. a great story around hunters in the jungle trying to catch monkeys. Did I ever tell you the story? No. No? Okay. So, it's a great story. So, the way that hunters catch monkeys in the jungle, what they do is they take a tree, they hollow out the tree... And then in the tree, they make this little hole where you can put your hands in the tree and they put a nut in the middle of the tree, in the hollowed out tree, so that through this hole, you can see the nut, you can put your hands, you can grab the nut, but the hole is just big enough to put your hand through, but you can't, it's too small to get the nut out of the tree. Hmm. And what will happen is monkeys will walk towards this tree. They will grab onto the nut and a hunter can actually walk towards the monkey and just kill it on sight. And the monkey will not let go of the nut. Now, why am I telling the story? <laughs> why am I telling the story about monkeys? The monkey is so small-minded, it wants to hold on to the nut because it will believe that if it will, ho- if it will let go of the nut, some other monkey will grab the nut and get a better deal. It will get the mm. nut. And it's willing to give up its life just to get the nut and because it couldn't stand the idea that another monkey might grab that nut. Now, 
we might think as humans, ha, 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 those are monkeys. What does that have to do with me? That is you. <laughs> yeah? So that is you. That is me. That is, I mean, we are all wired to think like that. We are all wired to think in this scarcity mindset that if I'm going to give something away and somebody else might get a better deal, we can't stand that. So mm. that's why we are always blocked or we do not want to give away our best stuff because we might we wouldn't we wouldn't stand the idea that somebody might grab onto an amazing idea and then god forbid completely rehabilitate themselves without your help mm -hmm. or right yeah. I, I might talk about a concept and somebody might build an amazing business and they will do it completely without my coaching help. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. This is not a joke. This is the way we are wired. And this is the foundation that we need to dig into and understand. And as you said, extrapolate before we even start about thinking what the messaging will be. Mm. And I would love you to think about taking your best ideas and giving it away for free giving it away because what you see there is this weird law in business in the world which is the more you give the more permission you have to then ask something in return hmm. now understand that i'm not saying the more you give the more you receive Right. Because you can be an idiot and give everything away for free and then say like, oh, you know, I don't understand. Nobody's, you know, giving me anything or I'm not making any money. You need to understand how to sell. You need to understand mm -hmm. how to market. So when you give away a lot of value, you then have permission to then offer a product, offer a course, offer 10 sessions, offer whatever, a year contract, whatever it is. And this builds on the other principle. Because as we said in the beginning, you need to sell them what they want, give them what they need. You need to understand what your client wants. Because when you understand what your client wants, that is what your client values. Mm -hmm. That is the value. And then when you understand what they want and you give them a solution, a story, an insight, a technique a quick thing that they can do that will fix right away something that your client goes like, wow, that was valuable. Then you are creating a relationship where you're giving value, value, value. And now you're creating an opportunity for you to then later on sell something. But mm. what I'd love for people to think about is when you think about broadcasting, and this will alleviate this whole idea of like, I need to be a salesperson, I need to sell. Actually, when you make contact with the client, you want in the beginning when they've never heard of you or when you start your first conversation or your first social media post or your first whatever it is that hear about you, preferably you would like it to be something of value that you're giving away, not mm -hmm. a pitch. And that should be easier to do 
than to straight up go out and sell something. The only thing you need to do is you need to rewire this idea. You need to understand that you're not naturally inclined to give away your best stuff, to -hmm. give away samples, to give away knowledge, to give away sessions, to give away what it is. But if you can get over that and you can consistently give, 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 and you become great at the skill of what does my client value? Now let me put out something that answers to that value, the more you will attract people to you, the more mm. you will start building a bridge. As I said, when you, let's say you have, hey, I have a, a let's, uh, the miracle ACL technique. You know, I'm just making something up right now. I came up with the miracle ACL technique. It's gonna, it's gonna solve your problem within 20 minutes. Hmm. When you first align and you say, hey, your dream is to stop chronic pain, to become this amazing uh, person that wins the first prize, and you need to fix your ACL. I got the miracle ACL technique. Let me talk about it, blah, 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 blah. What you now did is you created a portal. You created a conversation where your vocabulary, your techniques, your insight is actually your value is the basis on which you've built a relationship and now they communicate with you based on these ideas that you're talking about and you're starting a relationship based on that based on that value and then you can build on top of that does that make sense Mm -hmm. yeah for sure to counterpunch that a little bit and get some viewpoint from you is I, I think the counter to that is that a lot of people struggle with, um, for lack of a better term, imposter syndrome in the sense that they have this sense that whatever they have, um, their big idea isn't big enough. Um, or the thing that they do it, once they start to broadcast it, will be scrutinized by others and they'll be sort of, you know, undermined or judged or not thought, whatever it is that they're doing is just not cool enough, big enough, uh, important enough, et cetera. And so then they stop themselves from actually actioning on it because of all this fear of judgment perspective. Great. Well, I got great news for you. For you, you know, for you, Scott, and for the person listening, when you do this, you will be judged. <laughs> <laughs> so th- there's no point in trying to avoid this. If you do this regularly on a consistent basis, there will always be somebody who will find some type of thing to say to you about whatever you're doing. So mm. let it be a comfort that that will happen. And I'd like you to have the vision that it doesn't matter about the nine people who don't get it. It's about that one person that once they read it or watch it or hear it, go, you are the person I've been looking for. Why haven't I found you earlier? This is exactly what I need. Thank you so much. That's Mm -hmm. who we're focusing on. Now, obviously, it's not always that easy. It might make sense when you listen to the podcast and then you go out in the world and you're like, you're about to you're about to hit sand and you're like, oh no, I don't want to do it. 
But the way you build confidence is by doing things over and over and over again. In the beginning, you might have a lot of fear and you need to focus on it and you do it for the first time. Mm-hmm. It works. And then the second time, fear goes down 10%. You do it again. And then the third time, fear goes down another 20%. And then you might write something a little bit more risky. And guess what? Somebody judges you. <laughs> and then you take the punch in the face. It happens. That's how it goes. You rest for a couple of days and then you get back on it and you do it again. And then as you do it more and more and more, you create confidence and you actually understand that, hey, most people don't care about what I sent actually. It's all in my head. And then once people start getting to you and they tell you, wow, thank you so much for that insight or that turned around my injury or this is the thing I needed to hear today, then you will start getting positive inspiration and that will then be the fuel to start building more and more and more but Mm. there is no easy fix there is no quick thing to do i actually want to say i understand you you and the listener that when you're feeling this you will feel fear you will feel judgment and it's okay it's part Mm. of the game and it's part of your growth. Hmm. Very cool. So now when we go into this broadcasting framework, there the other thing that seems to be very overwhelming for people is um, the how of broadcasting. So um, there's email. There are all these different social channels today. There's blogging, there's podcasting, there's all these different things. And it it seems for the person who's, you know, just getting started, um, and even for somebody like myself who's been doing this for a while, it's kind of overwhelming to to put your eggs in a basket and say, well, I'm going to focus on um, my email um campaigns or I'm just going to go on Instagram and and hope that Instagram is the 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 solution for for my you know process. So how do you counsel people on their initiation of their broadcasting formula and on the back of that, you know, what should the um the broadcast instigate in the listener? Like, are we trying to just get people to notice us or are we trying to get them to do something after they notice us? Quick break here. We'll be back with our guest. In the last three years, the already powerful practice of reconditioning, which brings the worlds of therapy and performance together, has been upgraded with an integration of applied neurology. It now is one system that brings these three worlds together in a very powerful operating system that will turbocharge your practice. If you really want to change your practice, be able to take care of more clients and get better and more long-lasting results, we'd recommend you come and visit Reconditioning today and join the Reconditioning Revolution. It will change the way you practice. What do universities, colleges, municipalities, first responders, hotel guests, athletes, gym owners, rehab specialists condo developers and over 3,500 homes in Canada have in common? 
They all use Matrix fitness equipment to support their physical activity needs. Matrix is a global brand that recently celebrated its 20th anniversary and can be found in most local facilities in your community. For more information on how Matrix can support your goals, go to matrixfitness.com today. We're back. Enjoy the podcast. Great question. Many questions in one. Let me see if I can tackle all of that. So... First, one is kind of which where which where do you start for yeah. your broadcasting? Yes, yes. You, you know, if you want me to re-elaborate at some point, yeah, I'll, we'll go and we'll see. Uh, yeah. We'll be led and see how it goes. So the mm-hmm. first one is, I'm going to give one recommendation on the channel that I think will give you the most value. But before I do that, I want to give a frame of mind. I want to give a mindset on how to approach on where you're going to be posting. There's two things I think you'd have to take into account. The first thing is, it's not about you. It's about where your client is. So you want to be figuring out where your client is active. Are they on Instagram? Are they on Facebook? Are they listening listening to podcasts? Are they at certain events? Are they watching certain YouTube channels? Where are they? Because mm-hmm. when you look at what channels they're on, that is going to determine how to speak to your client. If everybody's on YouTube, there's no reason for you to say, I love postal pigeons. Let me try postal pigeons as a channel. You know, like, no, people are on YouTube. So, so you use YouTube. Yeah, using ex- extreme uh, analogy, of course. But, you know, although I do think postal pigeons would be very unique. And, you know, if anybody wants to try this, Please email me back if you try this, because I do think this might be a very unique kind of marketing. But so, yeah, so you want to be thinking about the channel of your client. And then it's going to be a dance between where is my client and where am I good at? Are you somebody who's more of a speaker? Are you a writer? Are you a video person? Are you more into short little bits? Are you more into long form? Nobody can decide that for you. That's something that you have to figure out. And in the beginning, it's best if you do small experiments. As we mentioned before, it can be overwhelming. How about we start with, let's do something that you feel drawn towards that that seems fun. <laughs> yes? <laughs> yeah. So make a, make a video or, you know, like, because when we think about this, we think like, oh man, now I got to write, you know, like, let me, let me double down. You know, maybe you listen to this podcast and you think, ah, oh, I'm going to do 100 blog posts for 2023 or whatever, wherever we are. And just going to double down on that piece. And then you do two blog posts. And then by blog post number three, you're like, oh my God, I got 97 to go. It's, it's not very enticing. <laughs> no? like you yeah. you want to start with something that draws you in, that you think I can mm. do this long term. And you definitely don't want to do too many. So I, I understand that people think that people would be overwhelmed, like, well, should I do this? Everybody's on TikTok. Should I start dancing and dancing with my athletes and then put on some music <laughs> or something? What should I do here? You know, so there's many things you can do. And do it one step at a time. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Take something that entices you and test. And it'll be a dance between what am I good at and where's the client. 
and give yourself a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months to figure this out. Don't double down on the first thing you choose. Give yourself mm-hmm. some space to try something. And maybe you'll try something this week. And then you're like, oh, that was a failure. And then maybe you don't want to do anything for two weeks. Yeah, and then you do something every single day for five days. It doesn't matter. But give yourself that leeway to experiment and find something. Okay, this clicks. This is good. I see that people are on this channel. And this is something that I feel good that I see myself doing long term. That's the first mm-hmm. piece. Then the second piece, if I can give a recommendation, if you're like, all right, Alex, Ha, ha, ha. Very good. I don't want to do the experiments. Just give me the best channel. The number one channel through which people buy. So I'm not saying where people get your attention, but where they buy products is still email. Mm. Because email is considered business communication. Mm -hmm. If you're able to connect with your client in a meaningful way through email, then you can also build on a pitch and a sales sequence through email. Because when people go there, they want to buy. When they're on the other channels, let's say they're on Instagram or on Facebook. On Facebook, they want to see what their friends and family are up to. On YouTube, they want to learn how to do something. On Instagram, they want to be inspired. On the podcast, they want to learn. Most of the time, the channels where the most attention is at is not always the place where people want to buy something because they're not in that state of mind. That's not the context of that channel. Email is the context where selling is the most probable or when you have a good relationship set up by you giving value and they like getting your emails you have an opportunity to potentially sell and with email you have a direct connection you're not submitting yourself to any algorithms that a platform is creating and you own the list Mm-hmm. If you go on a social media platform, you do not own it. You are a visitor. Mm-hmm. So when you go on these channels, social media is absolutely amazing. And it's where you usually start to come in contact with your client. But you want to be thinking about a next step from the social media channel to the email list. How will people go from hey, check out my video or this blog post to join my email list because there you can consistently sell to them, give them value in a way where you own it and where you can build it and nobody can take away it from you. In the internet marketing world, there is a saying, you can retire on your email list alone. Hmm. You can retire on your email list alone. So to recap that, when you want to start this, don't overwhelm yourself. Pick one channel and then do something on that channel. See how it feels. And then if you need to choose something, choose email. Collect all the email addresses of your previous clients. Find a way that you can start gathering emails and then consistently build up a strategy there because that will be your biggest bang for the buck to be creating repeat business. Because any business that lasts is 
predicated on repeat business. It's not on mm. new sales. You need to have repeat business. And that is the easiest that's done is through email, in my opinion. Mm. And then what was your second part of that question? Well, I'm going to come back to my second part, but I want to splinter off of this uh, because I think there's some value and I know you have something in there. So if we go back to this idea of um, giving them good information and informing the client um, and not just trying to sell to them, uh, you provided a great sort of um, framework to me from uh, from that perspective. And I think it was for four chunks in an email that would go out to somebody something to the effect of what what is the problem that you're addressing what what is the solution that you you have for that problem and then there were two other pieces but one of them was um what can they do on monday morning or what can they do tomorrow to try to use that. So your formatting was, you know, write your email to somebody and these, you hit these four points and that gives them something tangible. And from your suggestion, what I'm hearing is you might have an email, you might send three or four of those emails where you're giving them something tangible. And then at the end of that, you might have a sales proposition that solves a series of problems that they might have experienced or or might be experiencing is that is that correct correct so this would be the context for a more premium product that you're trying to offer if you have a course Mm -hmm. or a yearly long program or something that goes let's say beyond 500 or 1000 us dollars preferably between 2000 to 10,000 something like that if you're offering something like that then this sequence can make a lot of sense. And I'll break down the sequence. The first thing you want to do is paint a picture of the opportunity. So when thinking about a product, what we tend to do is we tend to immediately go to the solution. Like, hey, this is how you do it. This is the one, two, three, the exercises, the da-da-da-da-da, whatever. But Mm -hmm. before we get to that, we must paint a picture of what's possible, of what's out there. So what we want to be doing is talking about the opportunity. Let's say I am selling a course on how to start a business. Then I would craft the opportunity as following. Hey, do you are you in a job right now? Most probably you're working nine to five. You're working for a boss. You don't like that. You're doing a lot of stuff you don't enjoy. Your vacations are maybe one to two weeks a year, and you're stuck into what you need to do. And you don't have a lot of autonomy. Did you know there is this idea of starting a business? Did you know you can you don't need to have a job or a career? You can actually start your own business. And here you can choose your own hours. You can base it off a passion doing something you love. And all the work you put in will get rewarded in the effort. And it will get rewarded in what you what you get. So as much effort as you put in, that's what you get out. You're not just You don't hit a ceiling around the salary you get every month. The more you do, the more you get rewarded. And if you do it the right way, 
You can be mobile. You can work from wherever you want. So that's painting the opportunity, showing Mm. them something that's possible that they might not have even thought about. And this is a very important step that we all tend to skip, but we need to understand what the client wants, which brings us all the way back to in the beginning of our conversation, figure out Mm. what they want, figure Mm -hmm. out the words, the desires, the challenges, take that. And then in this sequence, you start with the opportunity. So you start writing. So if I would start writing around to ACL injury, I would say like, hey, did you know that if you have an ACL injury, you can get the chronic pain away and you can do all the sprinting you want to get at full capacity every single day for weeks or months without ever having to rehabilitate and that will be the foundation for you to go out and win that gold medal because we all know that ACL is a number one injury, blah, 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 blah. So, so I would start from there to paint the opportunity, paint a picture of the opportunity. Second part is authority. Authority. When you paint a picture of the opportunity, now you want to give people the feeling that you can be their potential teacher that you are the one to be teaching them how to achieve this opportunity. So what you will do in this section is give them techniques, insights, concepts that they can use right away so that when they use it, they get an immediate result and they can go like, oh, wow, this actually works. I can actually do something with this. This person might be the person for me to teach me how to get this opportunity that I really want. So if we're talking again in the context of business, you want to start a business. What you need is you need to start with a business idea. Now, a common question or hurdle or challenge is, does this business idea make sense? Is it going to work? And the way to think about this is that your business idea needs to cover Three different elements. One, it needs to be something you're passionate about. Two, it needs to be something you're good at. And three, it needs to be something that the market wants. If your business idea hits these three elements, you have a great business idea that you can move forward with. And your reader can do this exercise immediately. They can just like, okay, I have my business idea. Let me figure out, oh, is there a market? Am I good at it? Am I passionate about it? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I want to do this business idea. Yes. Hmm. Great. Maybe he can be the teacher because he's showing me the way. I, f- I feel I'm getting value. So that's the piece, mm-hmm. the authority piece. Mm-hmm. Then the third piece is what we call blueprint. Blueprint. So when you talk about the opportunity and authority, people now understand this concept that you're giving and they want this, but they're not necessarily aware of how they're going to get there. If you've never heard about a business and then somebody says, hey, you can build a business, you're like, okay, but how do you do that? So the blueprint is the section where you go piece by piece on what it takes to go from A to Z or As you said, Scott, this would be a great point to talk about the transformation of your client. Where are they? Where do they want to be? What are the steps towards that? If I would speak in terms of a business, then I would say, first step, you need a business idea. 
Two, you need a website. Three, you need to create social media content and put it out. Number four, you need a product. Number five, you need a way to sell. And then, boom, you launch your business. It's a very simple way of putting it. But when people see that, they think like, oh, wait a second, I can do this. I need a business idea. I need to understand how to put out content so I can create value for other people. I need to have a product. I need to be able to sell. I need to put it on a website. This doesn't seem impossible because when you talk about a business, maybe people think, oh, I got to build a seven-figure empire or something like that. But no, actually, these are the elements and you work on these piece by piece over time and that's how you start a business. And you want to give the reader or the listener the feeling or the idea that they can do this. This is mm. possible. I can see myself doing this. And then in step number four, this is where you sell. You give the proposition. Here you go from, hey, I have this product. I've talked to you about this opportunity. I've given you some insights on how to make this happen. Here's the blueprint on how to get there from A to Z. By the way, I'm doing this course. I have this product i'm doing these 10 sessions for your acl injury that i'm offering right now for this price and if you want we can take care of all these elements i can get you to that opportunity you want i'll teach you some more of these things that i talked to you about in the authority piece and i'll walk you step by step on all the aspects of maximizing your acl injury just like i did talked about in the blueprint join here now mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah well, and to, yeah. ba- to sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I just you want to say, say one more thing. If people want to learn more about this, the OG slash pioneer of this sequence, obviously what I'm doing is a sequence that's a little bit more tailored to my experience. But one of the OGs, the, the pioneers of this concept is Jeff Walker. Jeff mm-hmm. Walker. So if people want to read more on this, just get the book launch mm-hmm. launch by Jeff Walker because he is the one that pioneered this in the internet marketing world. It's not completely new. I mean, people have doing this type of thinking, this type of offering products have most probably existed for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. But in the modern internet marketing world, Jeff Walker is the pioneer in that one. So that's a recommendation. Mm-hmm. Well, and to sort of splinter off of that slightly is just, um, you know, going back to that idea of, you know, you don't ask somebody to have sex with you on, you know, when you just meet them at the bar. Um, the Even when you go through these steps, sometimes what you can do is you might have two or three emails or, or posts or whatever where the opportunity authority blueprint proposition is given and then you finish with maybe one thing to do so you send them home with a little homework and say try this on monday morning and there is no sale there is no proposition but then after you've done that a few times um, then you have your proposition so the person starts to sort of know like and trust you and in essence feel like you're giving to your point earlier you're giving 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 and then eventually you say okay um here's here's what you know you can do for me so to speak right absolutely exactly so it, it all builds on top of each other right figure out what they want what they need 
about what they want, what their desires are, what they want to move away from. Then give massive value, give your best ideas away for free. And then, yeah, this is more of a specific sequence on how to go from A to Z into selling somebody who has never heard from you all the way to offering a premium package that could mostly be done in three to four weeks if you do it correctly. So what what then is the value proposition of having a website and sort of this comes back to my back end piece with uh, of that prior question, which is you're you're going to do all this call it marketing um, strategy and fundamentally the strategy is um, twofold. Uh, and this is kind of the way I see it after having been doing this for a few years now is your social is a draw to your, um, to some kind of, um, gift or, 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 um, as, as the industry calls it lead generator that somebody would come to your website for that would get you to in in order to have that lead generator, there would be an exchange of an email. And the essence there is to build your email list so that then you can start to do this type of thing where you're actually giving away information to um to clarify what what the business proposition is that you can offer to that client. So what does the website represent in your viewpoint at this point in, in today's industry and what should people be um, investing in and not investing in, especially when they first start at this? Yes. A website, just like the email list, is something that you own. <clears throat> you own it. Not like the social media channels where you're on. And it's an important distinction because you can build your website however you want. You can do whatever you want with it. And when we think about a website, about the function of a website, when I ask people, what's the function of a website in a business context? So understand that I'm saying business context. I'm not asking mm. what you generally are building a website for, which can mm. have many different reasons. But when we're thinking about building a website and we're building an online business or a brick and mortar business, what is the function of this website in a bigger whole? What does this element represent in your entire business? And a website, the main function for a website is to capture the email. Capture the email. Why do I say that? So when people are on their social media channels and they're browsing around, you want them to take a next step. Yeah. So the first step is they might come in contact with you through a piece of content, whether it's an interview, blog post, a Facebook Live or a LinkedIn Live that you're doing with somebody or whatever you're doing, they're coming in contact with you. And there needs to be a next step. The last step is the sell. The first step is they come in contact with you on social media in some kind of way or wherever they come in contact with. So when people are discovering about you and they're learning about you and they say like, hey, I like this Scott Livingston. Reconditioning. Yeah, I want to learn more. What do I do? Intuitively, most people will go to the website. They will say, let me find some more information on the website. 
Now, when people come onto the website, and we'll we'll take it again from the business person point of view, when we build a website, most people think, well, what's a website for? Well, I have to promote my products, or I have to present our mission, or I have to say who I am, blah, 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 all these type of things, which they're all true, by the way. But now let's step into the mind of the customer. They come onto your website for the first time. They don't know who you are. And they might come, and what are they going to do? They're just going to scan. They're going to browse around. They're going to look maybe at your products. Maybe they're going to read a little bit. Maybe they'll read a little blog post. They're not going to spend too much time. They're not going to be very interested. And they're just going to be skimming and they're not really going to be super focused. They're just going to be browsing around. Almost all people, potential clients who come to your website for the first time, they're not informed enough yet to make a buying decision. Mm -hmm. Not informed yet. They're not going to go on your website and immediately buy your product from the first time. Some people will. If you have a product that's lower than $200 and a great sales page, then you might get somebody to buy your product right off the bat because you don't need a lot of persuasion to buy that type of product. But most people will not be ready for it. And they will get on your website, they'll look around, and what will happen then? They will click away, and most probably, they'll never come back. Mm -hmm. So this is something that we call in our internet marketing world, drive-by traffic. Mm -hmm. They drive by, they come on, and then they go away. What you want is to capture that traffic. You want for people who come and visit you to stay with you and you want them, you want to warm them up towards a product that you might offer. So what's easier is when people come on your site to give them a gift, as you said, Scott, a gift. Here is a video where I explain how to avoid your ACL injury to be chronic. Here I explain blah. Here I explain blah. Whatever that is, whatever you figured out in the first stage of your research, which is what do they want? What are their desires? What's their ultimate scenario? If you can give a quick solution for that, it's a lot easier, a lot more possible that when somebody gets on your website for the first time and you give them a gift of how to do this or 10 ways to do that or whatever, that in their first visit, they will give their email to get that insight if you position your gift correctly. That will be way easier, way more probable than trying to sell something. And when you capture that email, now, as I said before, you own that contact. Contact. You can start a conversation through email. Now you can start giving them value and you can move them towards the sale, either by giving some 
value every week. Maybe you give a blog post or a video every week. And then once in a while you say, Hey, I'm doing this, or, you know, do you want to buy that or blah, blah, blah. Or you do something a little bit more sophisticated in the opportunity authority blueprint selling kind of sense. But ultimately, you want to be using your websites to be drawing people into your email list, grow your email list, and then sell from there. Because that is a predictable way of building a business. You can do it many different ways. You can slice and dice it in any way you want. Ultimately, I want to suggest that you have some type of structure that can scale or that can build. And this is the model that I have seen to be common or to be successful. From my experience, I've done this with many clients, of course, many clients, and we always use this model because this is a proven way of doing business. This doesn't mean it's the only way. There are people out there on LinkedIn, on Instagram that are successful leveraging their accounts. The way I'm suggesting is a way that has worked across multiple industries and doesn't require you to be exceptionally gifted at creating content or understanding one particular channel or being very good at something and being a unicorn on, on YouTube. It's something that most people can do. Create some content, have a website where you can give a gift, get to the email list, uh, offer emails and sell through the email, uh, sell through emails. That's something that most people can do. Mm -hmm. Leveraging an Instagram account or a LinkedIn account definitely works, but usually the alternatives I want to put into people's minds that the alternatives out there are usually exceptions. People who leverage their YouTube channel with millions of views and millions of users, they're unicorns. They're usually people who are lucky and exceptionally gifted at something, and they found something that was really good. That doesn't mean you can't do it, but you will have a lesser chance of becoming that person. This way of building a business has, if you look around you at people that have successful businesses, Joe Schmo from behind the corner can do this. You'll see that most people, a lot of people are successful at this. You just need to understand the sequence and build on each element over time. You build a little mm -hmm. bit on your content. Like I said, you do some experiments. You try out some content. Hey, you do, um, you do some YouTube videos or you do a, you do a blog post. Hop, you figure that out after a couple of weeks, couple of months. Then you try to build your website. You figure that out. Then you figure out a strategy on your email list. Oh, now you send out one email a week network and then you try to figure out how to pitch and sell obviously this is not done over two weeks this is done over one year but what do you ultimately want you want to have a business that's according to your needs that you can leverage over time that brings in revenue and that works without you having to constantly work on it so you want to be putting a system in place over six months or one year, that you don't have to constantly put effort in to get the same out. You know, you do one one unit of effort in and then you get one unit of effort out. That's what you do in the beginning, but you want to be building towards something where you put one unit of effort in and three units come out because you've built a system that is now working, connecting, and leverages itself over time, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm.
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think uh, your your commentary about the ownership piece is quite poignant when you look at, you know, just recently, um, you know, Elon Musk taking over Twitter. There were, you know, a number of people who were banned or lost their accounts or their accounts changed. And, you know, you might have 100,000 followers and all of a sudden you have none because they just there was a computer glitch or a, you know, a decision to, to switch or change the algorithm or whatever. Whereas you, as you said, you own your email list, which I think is extremely valuable. Um, yes. And, and this is happening more and more. Five years ago, they weren't really talking that much about banning, banning and censoring people. It existed, but mm-hmm. over the years now, because these platforms have become so much bigger and they carry a lot more responsibility. There's almost no avoiding these policies around censorship and banning. And we can get angry at the world, and we can say it's not fair, or we can get strategic and savvy about it and find ways, as you said, to own parts of the business. Because ultimately, you want to be a business owner. You don't want to be somebody who runs the business. You want to be somebody who owns the business. Mm-hmm. So this is a way to work towards that. This has been awesome. So the last thematic we talked about, which I think is a great, this we've walked into this really well, is this idea of walking your own path that we talked about before we got on, which, you know, and and it's point you were just talking about social media because social media gives you this perspective you know call some people call it the insta life where you're looking around and this person's got you know this many followers and this cool thing happening and somebody else is doing something on twitter and you start to get this kind of fomo um feeling of well i'm not you know i'm not living up to or i need to be doing this and and you start running around with, like a chicken with your head cut off trying to do you know play whack-a-mole with everything you know on the internet so to speak so talk a little bit to sort of wrap this up with this idea of you know establish you, you've talked about establishing what it is you know you're passionate about and good at and you know that the that there's a market for it building sort of the 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 initial framework and and the 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 scaffolding to build on then it's kind of this sense of okay this is a long game not a short game and understanding that looking at what everybody else is doing does not serve you yes so when somebody says, hey, here's the Jets, learn how to make eight, seven figures, the only thing you can do is just one-up that. Eight figures it is. Go bigger. <laughs> it's just a joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just something that frustrates me a lot. So, so yeah, so that's obviously not something that you can do. This always. So when you're saying this, this makes me think of a story that I really like which is about <clears throat> the greatest war general of all time. So a man, <laughs> you like that. So a man mm-hmm. dies and goes to heaven. And as he's at the pearly gates, he encounters God. And he asks God, God, who is the greatest war general of all time? To which he points down to earth and says, oh, that's easy. It's that guy right there. To which the man says, wait a second, that's not possible. I know that man. He's a carpenter. To which God says, yes, that's right. 
But if he was a war general, he could have been the greatest war general of all time. <laughs> and I love this story because it just triggers something in me and in most people in this truth that we know that there are many paths we can walk in life. And depending on which one we take, one will have a lot more fruits, a lot more rewards, a lot more inner and outer satisfaction than another path we might walk. I think it's important that we make a distinction between a talent and a gift, which we can reflect actually on the story. Most people go through life building talents, and a talent is something you develop. It's something mm. maybe you're good at or maybe you're not, but you become better at it by creating a skill in it. A mm. gift, as the word itself says, is something that has been given to you by birth. So you never had to learn it. It has always been there. And I believe it's important to make a distinction between am I living through my talents or am I living through my gifts? Mm -hmm. Because if we want to get closer to a business that is really embodying who we are, walking our own path, we need to make this distinction. A mm -hmm. gift is something that you know you have that you feel and a talent is something you develop on the outside world. And ultimately we want to be living out our gift as much as possible talents is something we want to be developing but we don't want to be re overly relying on talents and when we look to the world or when we think about our business in an outward in a in a way that's outwards and not inwards but outwards mm. Then we start looking at what other people do and it becomes this whack-a-mole game, which, I mean, I've been there multiple times and <laughs> I constantly have to re-look at myself to make sure I'm doing the right things mm. because ultimately the truth will come from inwards. The truth mm. will come from inwards because you will know if you listen carefully enough whether you're living through your gift and your talent. And the way to make this distinction, the way that I found the best way for me to have made the distinction between am I living through my gifts, am I walking my own path, or am I just going through my talents, or am I doing what everybody else does and it's not working, is you need some type of practice of self-reflection. Mm -hmm. Some type of practice of self-reflection. And in the 24-7 world of today, we have completely lost this. Mm -hmm. Or most people have lost this. Because it's so easy to get caught up in the stimulating activities and in what everybody else is saying. And right now, you can do business from morning till evening. So you can try out all the strategies. You can do all the things. You can keep working. But ultimately, what's going to give us that insight or that truth of walking our own path, only we can say it for ourselves. Somebody on the outside cannot say it for us. Nobody on the outward world can say you're living your gifts. Only you can direct it. And in order for you to direct it, yes, you look outwardly, 
But ultimately, when, once you've tried a bunch of stuff, only you can decide truly if it fits for you. So I would want to suggest, or what I do at least, is I have a form of self-reflection. That can come through the form of meditation, journaling, praying. I, I am more somebody who prays. I try to listen. I have my own form of trying to listen to the universe to give me my answers because it will give me a distinction between is this really my gift or is this really my talent? And I think the more you take time to reflect on yourself, whether you're asking yourself certain questions, you know, what did I accomplish this past year? Or asking a friend or sitting down and really getting quiet and thinking about your business, but really disconnecting and trying to listen inwardly, that will give you a subtle direction into the right path. And it's not easy. It's, it's a lot easier to read the 10 steps to make a seven-figure business. It's a lot easier to read and to try and to fail at than to sit down and be honest with yourself. Um, you know, maybe this doesn't work. Or to really take time and, and, and just sit and be quiet and stop doing certain things or not being this person that you look up to and really walking your own path is sometimes difficult because you have to let go of the ego. You have to let go of control, which the more successful you are or the more you want to build, the more that is built in you. Mm -hmm. And walking your own path, in my opinion, is a paradox because it, it, you need to surrender to a certain degree and say, okay, I don't control everything. And if I don't, if I can't control everything around me, because if you think about it, if, if you look externally and you play a game of whack-a-mole, ultimately you believe that you're able to control your business. I'm going to do this. 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 Something's going to work. I'm certain. And I'm just going to do all of them. And I'm going to make this business work. You're putting control onto your business. But the paradox of, okay, I'm just going to surrender and I'm going to listen in, or journal and the answer will be given to me in whatever way it is. And most probably the answer I'm going to hear is not the answer I want to hear, but is the one that's going to guide me on the right path. Amazing. I love the way you uh, brought this uh, to uh, the ship to dock, so to speak, on this. I think we've covered some amazing material for the listener. Um, to your point, I think you've gifted a lot of great concepts for people at whatever stage of business they're in. And I just want to say to the listener, if, um, you know, as as I was, you may have been impressed with Alex and his uh, his approach. If you want to get a hold of him, his website is Alexander A L E X A N D E R Desiree D Z I R E or Z if you're in the U S dot com, and you can find him there and look him up and contact him and connect with him. Great resource, great human being, and um, Alex. I just want to say thank you for. Um, for exploring today because I think it's going to be very helpful for many who listen. Well, thank you for having me on. All right, buddy. Have a good day. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. 
Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Payne and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.